This is Let's Talk Business with your host, Mark Ebinger. Now, here's Mark. Welcome to Let's Talk Business, the show that talks entrepreneurship with some of the best businesses in the San Antonio area. Coming up on the show today, we're going to talk about important tasks that business owners need to take care of but tend to avoid. We're also going to talk about some of the biggest mistakes business owners make on their website. In studio with us today is Heather Bame, a certified business coach that works with business owners to gain clarity and achieve their goals. Heather, welcome back. Always glad to be here. Also in studio with us today is Howie Nestel, the owner of Sharkmatic Advertising, where he and his team have helped over 1,500 clients grow their marketing influence. Howie, welcome back to the show. Excited to be here as well. Is it 1,500 or 1,600 now? 15, it's probably 1,600 because okay. we were at 1,000 websites. Now we're at 1,100. So by mm-hmm. definition, we should be around 1,600 should clients be. served. But that's in 35 years, not all at once. Right. Not <laughs> in one year, right? And of course, I'm your host, Mark Evinger, the owner of Krukus Marketing Agency, a company that specializes in giving small businesses a competitive edge by hiring low-cost virtual administrative specialists and social media experts from outside the United States. That's how work gets done these days. Mm-hmm. Quick reminder for our listeners, you can catch video and podcast versions of the show anytime by visiting our website at satalkradio.com. And if you're a business owner in the San Antonio area and would like to have your company featured on this show, Visit our website at satalkradio.com or call our office at 210-879-8804. That's 210-879-8804. All right, Heather, so is this the title of your new book? Uh, Is your business (laughs) acting like a toddler? It does sound like a book title, right? It does sound like a good book title, yeah. Well, I got the topic idea because I uh, I read a lot of business books just to, to, to stay sharp. And uh, I started reading my first parenting book a couple weeks ago because I have a toddler and she's being a toddler. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I want to make sure I know how to handle this and turn her into a good person. That seemed pretty paramount, right, to not raise someone who's going to be awful to everyone. So I started listening to this parenting book and I started realizing it's really similar to some of the things that these business books are saying and some of the things that I work with business owners on. So I was like, huh, your business is, is just kind of acting like a toddler right now. And hence hence my so like, quippy little title. So I'm guessing immaturity is going to have to. Signs of immaturity should be a chapter, right? That would be at the top of the list. Immaturity, repeating mm-hmm. the same mistake over and over again yes. and not learning the lesson. So w- when I say like signs of immaturity, what does that mean to you, Howie, when it comes to maybe dealing with a, uh, a business? Immaturity... Is not necessarily a bad thing because you can have fun with it, but you have to love take it. care of those things that are, by definition, the mission and vision of your company. Mm-hmm. And so you can't be Im- so immature that you have happy hour every afternoon at two o'clock yeah. and the employees don't work and then they don't produce. But immaturity and not being completely structured the entire day could be good for creativity. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm not saying that there's an achievable balance, but I'm saying business owners should be cognizant that there are really two sides to each of those coins, right? Immaturity, having fun, getting your stuff done, getting your work out of the way. And then, and it's, and it's you know, I'm, I'm a parent of three kids. Now two of them are teenagers and one's a preteen. So my book would be called Dad, I Hate You, <laughs> but can you take my friends and I do lemon? You know? <laughs> Or can you take us to Fright Fest? They hate me, but they need my money and they need my ride. You see, so that would—that's for a different stage different of a bit of business of too. You know, so business. yeah. Uh, 
And so I I like to well, no, find that's actually a stage of business. Yeah. I hate my job, but I want my benefits and my pay. Correct. Mm-hmm. That's wow. What I'm saying. That's actually a pretty good I like, feel like connection. a business really follows the trend of raising a child pretty well because I work with a lot of business owners in their toddler phase. They're past the baby stage where you have to, you know, constantly be on it to make sure it's alive and and going and you have to be constantly working on it and it's and getting constantly investing money because you haven't you're not making money. profit that's the baby stage yeah you're not hustling. getting anything in return just putting money mm-hmm. into it just pouring into Correct. it with really you know, they're giving you nothing they don't smile at you yet it doesn't really give you any nod you don't see a lot of traction and then all of a sudden they're toddler businesses they start seeing the traction you're making some money you're getting some work done and you're still though hustling and one of the ways that i kind of equate immaturity in business is a business that just runs you ragged it's those business owners who have jobs their job is their business and they work 24 7 without the boundaries or the systems and the processes that will allow that toddler of a business to grow into a productive teenager or adult do you think that business owners you work with a lot of business owners. That's why I'm asking mm-hmm. you and Mark. But do you think that entrepreneurs that are getting into the game understand that? Or do you think they even recognize it once they're in? That in some cases, all they did was buy themselves a $30,000 a year job. They left a high-paying corporate job to go start their business. And now they're making a fraction of what they were making. They're working sometimes more hours. Do you think it computes in their head that they actually just traded in their high paying job for a thirty to forty thousand dollar a year headache? When you find people in that situation, I don't think so. You know, there's there's two different people that walk into opening a business. There's the people that have experienced the job and they read a bunch of books and they come in with that understanding and the way they build their diff business is very different. But you also don't find a lot of researchers that actually take the action required to mm. build a business. So you right. find a lot of action takers who didn't do a lot of research because honestly, if you did a lot of research, it's really hard and it takes a lot of hustle and it's it's not instant success. So the researchers get stuck in that research loop and mm-hmm. the few that make it out of the research don't tend to have those issues. But your action takers, they go in with the glory and the Right. The 10-year vision that's definitely going to happen in a year. 10 years? You mean, yeah, I was going to say yeah. five-year vision. That's <laughs> in their in mind, it's going to happen that's in six Mike, months. That's the Mike Tyson quote, right? Everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you go into the fight, and you're going to fight against Mike Tyson. You're like, I've watched all the videos. I already know what I'm going to do to this guy because, you know, he doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. And then that's a great plan until Mike Tyson punches you in the face, and now you're loopy. Now, all of a sudden... You realize all the research in the world is not. Yeah, I want my mommy, and I, I need to go right. home. Well, yeah, I'm a little I admire it because if you look into it too much, I mean, any sane person would be like, "Oh my gosh, do the rewards outweigh right. all of the work?" And it's just like parenting. I tell my friends who don't have kids, I'm like, if you want to have kids, just don't think about it too much until it happens to you, because it kind of sucks sometimes. <laughs> like, just do it, and then you're gonna love them so much that it's worth it. But if you Think about uh, it too hard. God, there's so many. And I, you know, the, in all my years of entrepreneurship and having kids, this is the first time, thank you for that, <laughs> that I'm really equating raising kids or having kids and, and having a business and seeing it to maturity and growing it. And, and even businesses have a lifestyle, life cycle, and people forget about that. They're born, mm-hmm. they, you want to try to get them to maturity. 
they're going to flatten out at some point and then they're going to start to deteriorate. All businesses go out of business. Could mm -hmm. be one generation, two generations, three generations, whatever it happens to be, but they have a life cycle as well. So, so a lot of similarities there. I agree with you, not too much research, but you do want to get some things done right and early before you start a business, because if not, then you have to have Heather come in and coach you to fix all <laughs> these things. And it's almost always harder to fix something that's broken and bad than to have done it and set it up properly mm -hmm. the first time and then run with that. Well, yeah, you're going to have a whole other set of issues that come with fixing things. That's letting employees go or changing things, admitting you're wrong, admitting things you did didn't work out. The opportunity cost of your time because oh, yeah. now you're spending time fixing it instead of selling or making a profit. Mm -hmm. You're backtracking. Oh, it's the foundation of your business. And there's some core ones, like when you're just getting started, like your LLC, your EIN, your bookkeeping. Oh, I, Heather, I don't need start... an incorporation. I don't, I'm not making that much money. <laughs> no, <laughs> really. it, it's going to cost to the IRS. to pay someone. And then two years down the line, all of a sudden it's a big problem. So that's a fire I don't deal with quite as much, hopefully, because ideally when I'm working with a client, they're past that stage or they're having to go back and fix it. But with the other parts of the foundation that people don't think of so much, like the systems and the processes and building those not with today in mind. So, yeah, you might be bringing in a lot of money right now, but if you're building your systems and processes based off of today's work, then it's going to support today's work. But do you have a bigger vision for your company? What is that plan? Why don't we build those systems and processes based off what you want to do so it'll handle today's work, but it can also handle the greater amount of work you ultimately want to bring into the business rather than just handling today and then having to stop in five right. years and rewrite everything based off of your greater, ideally, success. Yeah, we're doing that now with uh, bringing on a sales manager, and one of her main tasks is going to be systems and processes for everything. And uh, I think that's going to help a lot. And then I assigned another one of our staff to the organizational chart that mm -hmm. we started work on because I really enjoyed looking at that last time we went through that, seeing, okay, well, what is this, how is this built out? What does that look like? What's the revenue that can be produced there? That was really, really good for me. Um, so I've got her assigned now to building that thing out and keeping it up to date with all the changes because we're hiring people it's almost every week mm -hmm. seems right. like so what Heather's, what Heather is saying is that then you should be having these people look at building these systems and processes yeah. for where you're going to be a year to five years from now and yeah. and since today's theme is uh comparisons right uh, it's kind of like the con road construction right <laughs> all of a mm -hmm. sudden mm -hmm. we have a lot more people here a lot more traffic. And if they're widening the road, are they widening it a little bit just to accommodate for the cars now or for the growth five years from now? So if you look oh, at that's a good point. But my only concern is I don't really know how to really visualize. I can visualize what my company looks like now and it can scale, but I don't know how to anticipate the, the different stuff in my sales teams, for example, that are going to need to adjust other than more. I don't know what else would be there. I have that. a good thought about around that that I learned from someone that Heather is welcome to tell me I already knew that that's old news <laughs> or or steal it I had that same concern when I scale does that mean just more people more square footage more deaths more money outgoing and then am I going to start to see the law of diminishing returns right because my mm -hmm. costs are going up mm -hmm. but then I may not bring in enough revenue to have the same profit percentage that I have with this right size team. So somebody uh, uh, who is an expert at business said, 
Think of it as you're building just one really great team. Now, if you're going to scale, think about duplicating that team. So that team becomes two teams. Those teams can become maybe four teams over time. It's not just adding more people to the original team, making it bigger and changing right. it. If you get a really good team that can handle everything, there's no reason Don't why. Don't mess with it. Right. Mm-hmm. Build another one. Yeah. And yeah, that's and I know that's talked about, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking to train a sales manager to actually one of her, you know, tasks is is to be able to obviously get her team going, but then also help with establishing another team. But it's not going to be a melding; it's going to be a separate team. So I like that having different teams because it's small pockets of individuals that can be closer, work better, uh, and, and then you efficient. can measure, right? And then you can compare, you know. Speaking of parenting, back to parenting, you're not supposed to compare your kids to each other, but it, it's so hard not to. <laughs> oh, no, I was literally doing that this weekend. If you saw my Facebook, I side-by-side side compared my kids six and a half months old because oh. they're cute. Um, but yeah, being Which one able- did you like better? Oh, yeah. <laughs> going to get me in trouble. D- depends on the I day, depends equally. on the hour. That tells me there's an answer in there somewhere. Right. But also, I think your vision for what type of involvement in company you want to have in the future comes into this really key. If you want to be someone who's really involved on the day-to-day, your team structure is going to look vastly different than if you're someone who wants to have a more hands-off approach, who wants to be able to travel, who wants to work from their phone. Right. So I heard you talking about that in a previous podcast, yeah. and I and I love that. And I think that's something that entrepreneurs that have been around for a decade or two start mm-hmm. to really think about. What am I going to do? Bust my ass this entire time? One of the pizza guys was talking about that. And he's like, yeah. He goes, I don't know anything else. Working for 25, 30 years, every day, first one there, last one to leave. Mm -hmm. And then he has a heart attack or a stroke. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it forced him to back off. And now he says, my team really stepped in and Mm -hmm. stepped up and and the business doing as well without me. And I never thought that it could. And you can see the gratitude pouring out of him too. He's very grateful for the folks he has around him. And that didn't happen overnight. It happened over a couple of decades that he mm-hmm. built those folks. And they had the opportunity finally to actually step mm-hmm. up. And that's something that I love doing on my team yeah. uh, is to give them the opportunity to step up and take responsibility and ownership of what they're doing. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. And just being aware of the need to like set that vision, but then you can be forced to step out of that role, unfortunately. We're all going to die one day, Right. Or just having that faith and trust in your team to do it and let them pick it up. But then you're always there to step back in if you need to. It's, you know, what kind of kid do you want to raise? What kind of adult do you want them to be? Same for your business. I want my kids to want to hang up out with me when they're adults. Yeah. That's my biggest goal. So, like, I have to raise them in a way that makes them want to hang out with Yeah, me. same thing with a business. I could tell you with my experience with as many clients that I've helped and worked with in 35 years very few have a good plan. And if they have a plan, it's a business plan, but they don't have the elements in place. And they think that they're going to stitch the parachute on the way down. Oh, yeah. Well, Ooh. that's a great, that's a Howieism right there. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> that's the Howieism. Oh, yeah. There you go. Just frantically right, sewing boom. it together. Right, it <laughs> oh, I'm not going to worry about that right now. It's not that big of a deal. Mm. Yeah, you're in an airplane right now. In about three minutes, you're going to be coming down at about 100 miles an hour going towards the ground. Right. You know, your parachute, is it finished? Was it stuffed right? Do you have your backup and all that? And a lot of business owners find themselves like, uh, I didn't know. Really? Yeah. It's not quitting to have an exit strategy. It's just being prudent. 
So uh, having said all this, you know, is your business acting like a toddler? It's like, so when it comes to business coaching, how do you come in and help in that situation where you do have maybe a business owner that's acting a little bit like a, a toddler or you at least have the business that's kind of in that toddler stage? I would call it mostly the business acting like a toddler. I probably I wouldn't have a lot of clients if I went around <laughs> I act calling like people a like sometimes. they're toddlers. <laughs> but most of what I feel like having a business coach does is gaining that clarity you know, sometimes you're so deep in it that it's hard to imagine there's another way or your thoughts are running around too much. You know you need to do something about it. You know your business is running you ragged or the same problems keep coming up over and over again, but you just don't have the time or even worse, the energy to deal with it. I mean, we've all dealt with burnout at one point or another. If you're so burnt out that even if you have the time, all you can do at that time is mindlessly scroll on social media or just like, watch TV, then you're not actively working to fix your business. So what I do is come in and we talk about what is going on and ways that you can implement as a person to fix it. There's no one size fits all, but if you create solutions that work with your personality rather than just doing whatever everybody else is doing, you're a lot more likely to do it. So that's the key point that I usually work on. It's not, let's come up with the solution because this works for everybody. It's who are you? What is your business? What are you looking to accomplish? And what are you going to be able to do about it with the current time and energy you have now and scale that up so eventually they have more time and energy to pour into it at a deeper level. Well, how do you figure that out, though? It's conversation. It's listening and asking questions. and Business therapy. Business therapy. Business yeah. therapy. Yeah. I mean, look, it's important. To, as an entrepreneur, do you get home and talk to your family about your challenges at work and that kind of stuff? Yeah, it's pretty much all Jennifer and I talk mm -hmm. about is work. <laughs> <laughs> ask, ask Brooke when really? we go, hey, Mo how most often do Jennifer talk about, <laughs> well, about they'll, 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 work? How long have you had your business? Well, it's less than two years yeah, now. Yeah, so, it, so it'll change. Yeah. Five years from now, she's well, not going to want to talk thing about too, that. The things you know, that you need somebody who's an expert to really talk to about it. And you can't yeah. really talk to your employees because they know, and then they don't, you don't want to create fear in them, right? They're like, oh, I'm so worried about like what the economy is doing well, or whatever. So. Definitely business therapy has definitely happened. And I think that, so Jennifer is a lot more plugged into the business now mm -hmm. since she's been attending the business coaching sessions every week. And she feels like she has a voice. She feels like she's being heard. She, she kind of is identifying her place in the business now. And, and everything is way better. So, yeah, some business therapy actually happens. Mm -hmm. So if you're a business owner and you need, and your wife and you aren't necessarily connecting or your husband and you are not connecting, <laughs> reach out to Heather because it's definitely awesome. So I have a client that's going to be on the show here soon. Yeah. Um, I texted both of you this morning. And his wife and two sons both work in the family business. They mm -hmm. didn't always, and sometimes they did. And then he owned other businesses, and sometimes those family members worked in those businesses. And so he has this instituted this Saturday morning breakfast, even though the kids have one moved out. Both of them actually moved out of the house already. They have, they have a policy. We, everybody comes back for breakfast. You can bring your significant others. We don't talk about business. We're not talking about what's happening at the I office. I saw that on Yellowstone. They did that in Yellowstone. They're supposed okay. to anyway, but they always got in a fight. <laughs> yeah. It's tough, man, when you're talking mm -hmm. about business, financial problems. I made that mistake early on. Uh, 2008, uh, the the recession, my kids were young. Maybe it wasn't a way. Maybe it was Maybe it was the pandemic. It was the pandemic because they, they would have been too young. They would have been in the toddler stage in 08. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was uh, it was uh, 2020 and uh, made the mistake of bringing out a dollar amount 
that I lost in the stock market and that about 40% of our business vaporized. Oh. Mm. You know, this was by March, April, by around May of 2020. And for about a year, my two older kids asked me, Dad, are we going to be okay? I mean, is there a chance that we might lose our house? I'm like, no, not at all. Let me explain why. But then it's, so you got to be careful who you talk business with and what part of the business. The other part is true also, right? You're like, oh my God, you get home. I just landed a $1 million contract with the city and blah, blah, blah. And the kids are like, yay, let's go to Disney World. They're like, well, hold on a second. I have, you know, I have expenses and I have like $930,000 of hard costs. And they don't, they don't get that part. They just hear a million dollars. Then they start telling all their neighbors yep. and all their friends, my dad's a millionaire. You know, it's like. Oh, I gear my I husband it. up with, I know that you're probably not going to be as excited about this as I am, but I need to walk you through every step of what happened because I'm excited about it. And he's like, all right, let me just settle in <laughs> to listen to something that I'm not that interested in mm. for the next 10 minutes. But there's something to be said about having a someone to kind of throw it all on who doesn't have an interested stake in the outcome mm -hmm. and then can help sort out everything. Yeah, like see, that. I've got you and I've got Howie. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I just vomit all over the both yeah. of you. And even if it. Mark doesn't call me to ask me, I still have ideas for him. <laughs> right? I, I text him. He's sending me screenshots. Hey, yeah. this is messed up. You want to fix yeah. it? Yeah, no, I send a circle. <laughs> Am I that forward? I thought I was no, being I a little it. more diplomatic. I'm like, you do you, man. I love it. I'm just going to phrase it how I yeah. phrase it, though, right? Yeah, I'm trying to find my inner monk. You know, you might consider in the yeah. future. <laughs> You're so diplomatic. I'm like, just get what to the point. What would it look like if you did this? This is a good way to do it. So this is one way of doing it. What would be another way of doing this <laughs> are you going to work on that book of howieisms yeah is that gonna, i am is that i'm working happen? on it already it's in my mind sweet it's oh. what I'm, I'm, we need I'm to bring them out how do we take that i on? like my parenting book though dad yeah. i hate you but can you take my dad, friends I... tonight at fright fest yeah. <laughs> i bet that would be a bestseller yeah. i think it would i think people would really resonate with so that, that was one. a real line by my 15 year old daughter and then i took him to fright fest <laughs> And then, and then, you and did then, it. The, then the sub top, the subheader for the book would be, and don't follow me around, Dad, because you're going to look like a stalker. Yeah, <laughs> don't be, don't make it weird, Dad. Right, don't make it weird. See, that's the thing. Toddlers, uh, they can can run you ragged, but they're not. You don't get those kind of quotes out of right. them. Oh yeah, no, I I write them down. I memorize them for for their bar mitzvahs, their weddings. Their, you know, I'm going to be like, oh, and by the way, she said this. Or he <laughs> she said, said this. Said this. this. All right, so let's switch gears here to talk about uh, customer persona development. And this is something that, Howie, I know you brought up a couple times, at least in circles where I've been and I've heard you talk about it. I thought it was really good. People don't take seriously this, uh, this defining their ideal customer and really working towards getting that ideal customer and letting the less than ideal customers go. What are your thoughts there? Okay, Mark, it's not that I, – I don't think that people don't take it seriously, but – I've been a partner in 25 businesses, okay? My ad agency's been around for three decades. You know who I want to sell to? Everybody. <laughs> Anybody Reason. who has the money. And that's wrong <laughs> because not every client is ideal. And what defines an ideal client? There's a whole bunch of A, B, C, D, a whole bunch of line items under the ideal client. What does the ideal client look like? The ideal client to Heather, the ideal client to you, and the ideal client to me are three different ideal clients because you need something else out of them and you need them to be at a certain stage. Mm -hmm. Heather can't use them if they're in the baby stage because how are they going to pay for business coaching when they're not making any revenue? They have no idea. It's still kind of a hobby. They left their job. They're still wishing they had were still over there getting their five weeks of paid vacation mm -hmm. and their expense account. 
And Heather's trying to gear them up to be successful 10 years from now, and they can't see 10 days from now. So that's not an ideal client. So how do how do you how does one define an ideal client? If you look at any of the major corporations, let's take Apple for example. Okay, I'm an Android user, but if you ever see a, an Apple iPhone commercial or ad, print ad, you'll always see a woman's hand, probably in her 30s, maybe early 40s. That's the ideal customer, not some techie guy that thinks he can. Oh, I'd rather have an Android so I could program it and all that stuff. Doesn't mean that men don't buy iPhones. Plenty of men buy iPhones. I have an iPhone. But the ideal audience is a woman who has some level of success, manicured nails in the picture, holding the iPhone and all that stuff, because no fuss. They're not going to the Sprint store, the Apple store, or wherever to try to negotiate or see if it's on sale. You know what? They want the Apple, the iPhone 14. It's coming out. They want all the bling with it. They want the cover. They want the ecosystem. They want the extra um, storage. They want the blue. Exactly. And they want to be able to name and, their And that's an text. ideal client. You could still allow other people to buy. I realize my ideal clients are companies that already have employees. They have an office. They already had marketing, and it's not working. <laughs> that's probably most businesses. Yeah, and they already <laughs> had their, their, their tia's friend's son build him a website for 300 bucks mm-hmm. because he took a class at Alamo Colleges. <laughs> and I tell him, I'm like, hey, man, you, you want to put a million-dollar-a-year business in the hands of a 19-year-old who took a class? Vaya con Dios. You know what I mean? But it's like spending $25,000 on a motorcycle and putting on a baseball cap and thinking that's going to protect your head. Mm-hmm. You, want a, you want a helmet that you know will protect you if you fall or hit your head at 50, 100 miles an hour. It's another Howieism, I'm telling you. Yeah. So, so I, you, it's it's hard to find what that ideal client is. You have to do it one partly through experience. Meaning, you've had bad clients. You know what you don't want. Write that down. Mm-hmm. I don't want people that are in startups. I don't want people who don't have employees. I don't want people who don't have an office. Doesn't mean that one of those wouldn't be a bad one. It, I mean, it wouldn't be a good client. But you and you can still take them. They might have won the lotto, and they had like, "Hey, Heather, here's fifty grand. I want to prepay for coaching for six years." You know, <laughs> you'll take it. But mm-hmm. it's it's highly unlikely that that's going to be your ideal client. See what I'm saying? And so I look at demographics, psychographics. I look at preferences. I look at where they live, what they do, who their clients have been. Are their clients government clients? Are they B2B? If they're B2B, I can help them less through search engine optimization because they're doing business with other businesses. So they should have somebody who's really good at sales go out and hit their ideal clients. There might be 40 or 50 of them, and each one of those is worth 100 grand a year in revenue. Whereas if I'm helping somebody who's B2C, business to consumer, and I can help them through SEO, and I can bring 1,000 eyeballs to their website every month, then I'm going to be more successful. So I'm setting myself up for success or failure based on who and how I define my well, ideal client. That, that brings up a question, though. So for someone who's targeting B2B, is it is search engine optim, optimization is always going to be important, but it's not as important as maybe getting people to go out, hit the ground, and go to those businesses? Would you say do that? Instead? Correct, and yes, but then... There's also the opportunities. Let's say, let's say, okay, I was I was with a, a friend and a client this past weekend. He does veterinary ophthalmology. Okay, he's one of very Very few that will operate on dog and cat's eyes. He operated on the beluga whale at SeaWorld. 
almost all his business is from referral from other vets. Mm -hmm. Now, he could send stuff out to other vets or he could assume that they already know him because he's one of the only games in town. Or he can do some targeted SEO because if you're a new vet in town, he may not have hit them or found them or they, they don't know he's around. And maybe the dog comes in with some eye thing and the vet says, hey, you know what? You're going to have to go to Austin to get this fixed because they don't know about this client. See, but vets are humans, right? People are B, B, B2B customers are humans. If I'm a B2B and I'm looking for some business to support my business, I'm a human being. I'm still going to go to Google and We're go search. We're still going to Google it. You know, so doctors that do referrals to specialists, the doctors are going to Google sometimes, or maybe it's not the doctor, maybe it's their staff, but whatever, they'll find somebody to refer to. So it's not as important as B2C to do SEO, but it's still important because you still want to get found. Now, if 100% of your business is coming from Methodist or Baptist and you have all the business you can handle, you probably don't need SEO. Right, right. Well, when it comes to that, um, identifying the ideal client, you've been in business, oh, this specific business for 25 years, right? Am, am I wrong? 25, 30. 25? I lose count. At the, my age, I'm forgetting. <laughs> Did you start with that in mind or was it through experiencing these different types of clients that you kind of honed in on your ideal? Well, I know you like reading business books. So I knew that that existed. Mm -hmm. And even in my business plan, my original business plan, I had a definition of an ideal client. But because I had no experience in it, mm -hmm. I was completely wrong. Ah, that's a good take. So I tried that. It didn't pan out. Yeah. So I ended up officing with a competitor who actually owned a successful ad agency who I met through a chamber of commerce function. And so he invited me to office with him. And then he gave us business. And then he mentored me. So you'll hear me talking about mentorship as well. Very important. Mentorship and and uh, and networking are the two most important ingredients in this entrepreneurial cake. We that 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 tastes well that we call success. And so, um, learning from him, even his ideal clients were not our ideal clients, but his ad agency was definitely an ideal client for us because then I didn't have to go out and sell. All we had to do was produce work. So I concentrated on hiring people to produce work. So I went and I met with the owners of other ad agencies and they subbed out work for me. So I only had five clients to begin with. Then I hit upon a client that was a direct client. That wasn't an ad agency that's reselling our services or us white labeling. Then they hired us. Then I started to understand the model of what a good direct client might be. Well, and I, now here we are, three decades later, I still have that same model. Those are still my ideal clients. I like that model. I do work for other agencies, and I white label, and I don't brag about who we do work for. And then I'll do work for direct clients, and then I don't compete. And I tell the ad agencies, I said, if you're pitching a business or client, and it's a big client, and you and I could potentially conflict because we're both pitching it, and you're already subbing out work for me, guess what? I'm going to buy out. I'm going to let you get them. And we'll do the work. I don't know. Is that price fixing? No, Hold on. It's let's win, win, win. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I'm saying? It's, sure. it's that friendly competition. It's uh, well, symbiotic. And I think the right? takeaway yeah. is like you, you can define your ideal client initially, but in the process of doing, you're going to probably redefine it just based on your personality, what you want to do for work, what your business 
naturally fits in how it solves a problem because every business solves a problem, right? Um, but I love the evolution of it because I've gone through the same thing. I know you have, Mark, where we got into business thinking we were going to serve this one type of customer. And you're hyper-focused on it a little bit because you need to be to get your business off the right. ground. And then as you experience people coming to you for different things, you have ideas and options and it slowly morphs over time until maybe your ideal client is different. But if you've gotten to that point and you haven't stopped and looked and redefined it, it's still easy to be doing exactly what you are from the beginning and going for that one type or trying to do anybody that or not do. Yeah. Okay. So I know this is a, an upcoming question because like Karnak or whatever. We got to actually wrap up. We're out. Really? Yeah, we're over mm -hmm. 30 minutes. Man, okay. I know, yeah. right? <laughs> so let me button it up with SEO. If you know who your ideal audience is and target is, you can put that in your SEO so that when they search, they'll find you because yeah. you're targeting them. It's fishing for Perfect. the one fish. Oh, one more thing. If you're yeah. looking for a book to help with defining your ideal client, I recommend The Pumpkin Plan by Michael Michaelwitz. I know him. Oh, you do? He came to San Antonio. He spoke. I was in EO, and I love it. And I still have his book, and it's autographed, and it's a great idea. Did you yeah. read the book? I read it because it's thin. It's thin, thin it's quick, it's and it's all situational. So it's not like telling you to do something. It's like, this is what somebody has done. This is another person has done. Do I have 30 seconds to... Like get people to go buy the book? Sure. Okay, because I'm not getting any money from it. But. <laughs> this is not paid sponsorship. So defining what kind of pumpkin farmer you're going to be mm -hmm. is very important. If you're going to grow the biggest pumpkin in America or in your town or in the world, you have to be somewhat of a carpenter and a mathematician and figure out weights and how to create some kind of structure to protect this pumpkin that's going to grow to be the biggest pumpkin ever. You have to define that ahead of time because that's the kind of pumpkin you want to grow. You also have to be ruthless and cut out all those cute baby pumpkins that are on the vine because those are sucking nutrients from this mega pumpkin you're mm -hmm. trying to grow. Now, if you choose to be the type of pumpkin farmer that's going to sell at HEB and Whole Foods for Thanksgiving and, and you know the fall then you don't want a big pumpkin sucking up all the resources. You want a bunch of little and medium pumpkins, nicely shaped and all that stuff. So that that's why it's important to understand what kind of business person are you going to be? Who's your audience? What's your end goal? And that's where coaching comes in can help. Sure. All right, we are definitely out of time. Thanks, everybody. Uh, as we wrap up the show, a quick reminder, check out our latest podcast or to catch video versions of the show anytime by visiting our website at satalkradio.com. That's it. Great job. Awesome. Thank you. Mm -hmm.